0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Obi Nuosu. Obi is the CEO and co-founder of CoinFloor, the UK's longest-running Bitcoin exchange. I connected with Obi once before. We had a phenomenal conversation. Unfortunately, we did not record that one, so we promised each other we'd get together again soon for a recorded conversation. We finally put it together, and this is it. Really enjoyed this. Obi's an awesome dude, and I hope you guys like it as well. Boom, we're live. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So, uh, right before we press record here, you were saying that you are excited by the seeming chaos that we're in right now, and you get bored when things aren't, sh- you know, going crazy. Tell yeah. me more about that sentiment.
1: I sometimes worry if this is some sort of psychological disorder, but I I really get excited and I really get energized from crazy when things go crazy. So being an entrepreneur is the perfect, perfect vocation for me. And right. I get really bored when it's just same old, same old.
0: Right. And so we had a, a pretty extensive chat before, but for people that aren't familiar with you or Co- CoinFloor, why don't you hit us with the the brief
1: background? With the Yeah. The, the information. Or not so brief, whatever you want to say. Yeah, not so <laughs> brief. Okay, so CoinFloor, let me tell you about CoinFloor. CoinFloor is the UK's longest running Bitcoin exchange. So quite simply we make Bitcoin easy. Um, We allow you to buy and sell Bitcoin for pounds predominantly, but also US dollars and Euro. And um, we started out Bitcoin only. We started in 2013, which in Bitcoin terms is a very long time ago. Um, And um, for a brief stint, for less than 12 months, we we acquiesced and listed Ethereum. Um, But a few months after listing it, Things happened, which you can go into more detail, but with the Ethereum network and the people are behind it, which made it very clear that we should delist. And that's sort of the beginning of this year. We went back to being Bitcoin only.
2: And That's it? You got nothing else for me? Oh, I've got, I
1: can say <laughs> lots more. <of laughs> all main, right, all right.
0: So, so for for, for qu- a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And what about you? Just a quick background on yourself.
1: Uh, now on me, um, so I was born and raised in in London in the UK. Um, I was conceived in Nigeria, but born in England. So I like to imagine that my mother made it to London Heathrow Airport and I combat rolled out down the stairs <laughs> into London. Um, I was born in central London in a council estate, so um, which is you know poor working class background, but very rich in terms of philosophically rich parents. Um, mindset-wise and ethics and morality. They taught me to work really hard, to um, never give up, never surrender, as they would say from Galaxy Quest. I have a number of um, statements like, um, the heights that great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they were their companion steps, were toiling upwards in the night. This is a sort of thing I would hear again and again. By really? My, yeah. and um, That's awesome. Or I, mean, I am an African, only the best is good enough. Or an African, you know. I have many comments like this, so you can imagine this sort of mindset. Um, 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 what I, did but, your parents um, do? Um, so my parents had very um, simple jobs. They were a cleaner, um, a security guard. But back in Nigeria, this is a very common story. They were highly qualified, had um, had multiple um, um, businesses, and they sold everything um, to to come to the UK, but as was very common for a lot of people who are first generation, you have this situation where you have doctors and and academics having to take very menial jobs to to make sure they can keep ends meet. And they would often get challenges have challenges um, competing for jobs with people that were nowhere near as qualified as them. But that was that was life. They still managed to um, they still managed to build up um, save um prodigiously and build up successful businesses in Nigeria. Um, technically, um, they bought things like my um, I mean, father bought a, a kingship, so technically a prince, but you know, that's, oh, really? that's but it's very easy to be a prince in Nigeria. So, <laughs> that doesn't mean that much. Um, and, so, when you get those
2: emails, they might actually be princes sometimes? Oh, yeah, they might. Well, I doubt <laughs> in those cases,
1: but technically. Um, it's not something I actually haven't mentioned it on air before to many people actually, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, that was their background and, um, I'm really grateful for it. Um, um, so yeah, that, so I, anyway, I took my background to continue. I, I studied, I, um, very early on, um, got this passion for computers. I I came into the, the computer lab. Um, in primary school and I my first first day in fact in secondary school my first day and I saw I saw this um, computer thing that people were playing and I tried to play and I became the best person in the school at playing these games I literally could beat these games without even clo- opening my eyes sometimes and then I wanted to understand about computers and I, I luckily had this sort of goodwill hunting um, really interesting computer science teacher who helped me learn about programming and so on until I left secondary school, having programmed neural networks at, you know, age, um, 14, 15. And that's where my passion for computer science came. And I studied computer science and cognitive science at university, university college of London. So AI trying to build our new robot overlords. And, um, and also while there, the internet happened, and that's where I started working on sites for BBC, and then the rest of my career was working in various um successful uk um and european based dot com companies i spent a stint of time living in europe um, in, in india setting up an outsourced development center with hundreds of employees i've worked for autonomy i've worked for various successful um dot coms and then i came across bitcoin 2011 um because i was effectively a card geek. Um, um I someone, another um friend of mine posted me this idea. They knew I'm always interested in ways of reducing the gap between the privileged and underprivileged, having experienced racism as a kid, having experienced the the, the downside of privilege, and um always fought through it to to do um to do very well, but but realizing it existed and wanting to find ways to use technology to solve the problem. Because I believe that the way to get out of the current political system is to move to a technocracy, i.e. Man- government by the technocrats, people from a technical background, because I believe engineers were managing the world would do a better job. Um, and I, see, I think if you look at the companies that are the largest in the world, we're effectively moving towards that. And so when I saw Bitcoin, I thought, technically this was going to be part of the solution, but I didn't believe that um, it was going to succeed. Two years later, my soon-to-be co-founder came to me and uh, um, Alfred Angel invested in his first business. Um, and it hadn't succeeded, but we, we still were friends after that with the idea of a Bitcoin exchange. And I looked at Bitcoin again. And when I'd seen it in 2011 and it was 20 quid and it dropped, plummeted to like three pounds, um, I sort of ignored it. Now it was a few hundred pounds. And I thought, okay, so not only is it really interesting technology, but it has some staying power. And I think in 2011, I thought it had zero chance. In 2013, to be honest, I thought it had maybe a 20% chance. But as a non japaner I thought if a company's got a 20% chance of succeeding and take changing the world, I think it's worth a try. And so we gave it we gave it a go. Now, I believe it's like nigh 100%, but that was a journey. Is that a bit longer for you?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was that's a lot there. There's, there's a lot I want to kind of crack into there. And... If I, uh, if I pry into any aspects, <clears throat> excuse me, of your personal or family life that you don't want to discuss, you just let me know. But I find, you know, your, your parents' story so, well, one, inspiring, but also so interesting. Uh, mm. You know, and it's a story, the immigrant story, has played out in many different places around the world. And sometimes, you know, there's often a similar theme, you know, that that ethic of hard work and determination and positive attitude and overcoming, you know, tremendous obstacles to, in most cases, provide a better life for their children, right? Because as you say, the, the kind of the first generation of, of immigrants, they have a really difficult time with things, but they kind of set the foundation for their children, right? It's almost, it, you know, it's almost a well, in many like cases, it is a sacrifice. What's
1: that? It's a bootloader for the next generation. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you when you said, I, I want to be careful how I word this, I think you'll know where I'm coming from, but, like, I'm not demeaning uh, what they did when they arrived in London to make ends meet. You mentioned janitor, security guard, those sorts of things. I mean, you do what you got to do to to get by and establish yourself, right, and to, to build a better life. But it's also really interesting. Like, I just love that, they would come home, you know, from a, that type of work uh, and come home to you and instill these, you know, like you were saying, these great philosophical quotes or these like, you know, uh, the, these uh, quotes around hard work and good morals and ethics and values. And like, was it was that just was that always the case is that were they always drilling that into you?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, these, these, these comments were repeated. Uh, I, I mean, I actually have some of these on my wall. Before I knew what walls were, where you or, or um, motivational things, I, I just would write these things down. So you can't see it, but um, I have uh, um, that statement, for example, the heights that great men reached and kept. And I, I use it like the way you would... Um, there is a, there's a movie called The Princess Bride, and um, there's um, and one of the characters says, "Hello, my name's Onigo Montoyas, You killed my mother, father. Prepare to die." And um, it's this famous scene. It's this, this cult movie, um, and he uses that as to give him energy. So he was actually at one point in this fight scene. I, hopefully, I don't spoil it for people, but please watch it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty um, old, <laughs> some, a movie, but pretty old. Many older than many of the people in this are uh, listening were reborn, but yeah. Um, and in this scene, in this fight scene, and he looks like he's, you know, close to death. Um, and then he recites this this phrase and um, the person who's trying to fight him, who's he's been hunting for all his life, tries to attack him again, thinking he's about to finish him and he managed to block and parry. Um, I, I used to fence by the way, Actually, that's another reason I like it. But, and then, he, um, then he, um, he repeats it again and he gains energy and he gains energy until eventually he wins, and he uses this um, mantra. And I, that statement is is one of those, and that was how it suggested to be used by my my father. And I use it that way when I'm, you know, exhausted, tired, frustrated, um, and think that I have not got any more energy. It's a bit like Regard Kepler's "If." If you can hold your nerve and um, heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they have gone and so hold on. So there's nothing in you except the will to say to them, hold on. You know, it's it's, it's another statement. So but yeah. I would say when I'm tired, I will repeat these and it's a power to words. If you repeat these statements, which is why education is so important, um, and education of people coming into the Bitcoin space and and educating with the right philosophy. If you repeat and repeat and repeat, it literally gives you physical energy. It, you, this, this mental and philosophical energy converts into physical energy. Um, so yes, it was repeated a lot and um, it helped me a lot.
0: Man, that is awesome. And so in, in that kind of environment where, cause you, you made reference to the many obstacle racial and otherwise that new immigrants would face and you know uh, have to overcome. Hence, this cultivating this strong mindset and using you know, this, these words to, to do that. Um, did you grow up with, I think, because oftentimes I think it goes two ways, and of course there's overlap. One way you could grow up with a tremendous chip on your shoulder. Man, fuck everybody, yep. everything's stacked against me, I, you know this is yep. bullshit, it's unfair. The other one is you could um, grow up thinking, you know, the opportunity is mine for the taking, but for my attitude and approach, as you just articulated. Did you, you know, I'm getting the sense you kind of were in the latter, but did you have any of the former at any point?
2: And,
1: you know, no, so, how I, you- I, I, I very clearly remember there was a point in my life, and it's always, well, not always, but I think it's highly likely to be when you're a teenager because, you know, puberty and emotions, even the smallest things like the end of the world. And I, it was probably, I tried to ask, a girl out for the first time and she said no and I thought basically the world is going to end and I should you know there's no there's no tomorrow um because every emotion feels so strong at that point but there but there was a point where um I was feeling I could be I could I had to make a choice I could go into this point of depression and blaming the world and frustrated or I could see this as a way to power me and 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 Uh, people now call it reframe uh, but you know I didn't have that word at the time I just say think about it a different way and see how it's an opportunity how for example if someone tries to you know disadvantages me um, and makes the challenge for me twice as hard as they are Guess what? Bad luck for them because I'm going to be twice as good by definition. So um, I'm I'm just going to be hard. The diamond's going to be harder. So I always try to reframe it. If if I find it difficult, more difficult to raise funding, um, because you know I, I went, even in 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 um crypto. I remember early funding rounds, even in Coinfloor, where we myself and my co-founder um, <laughs> were um, going to get funding, and and there was this sort of um, these people in the city, um, I won't name their names, who um, um, asked to, to, that we were arranged to see, and then they saw us and we were having the meeting. I asked the CEO of the company and, and my co founder as well. And you could tell in the meeting that they constantly just wanted to talk to my co founder. <laughs> and it became very uncomfortable for both of us because it was just so obvious. Um, and in the end, um, we decided to. They wanted to invest, and you're you're a scrappy startup. You don't you don't want to say no to investment, but we just didn't want to accept the investment. Um, so you 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 see these experiences, but they just make you harder. They the, the way I see it is it allows us to innovate more. That being said, I do think um, a it could have gone either way. It was just because luckily. I had, you know, my parents were giving me these mantras to help me. And also, I think as well, there is an element that when you're deciding to go, with this, which way to go, left or right, um, I, and I, I, do, I describe them as if you're going to go in the direction where you believe the world pushes you or reality pushes you or you push reality. And that's, and that's, that's the sort of differences of mindset. And that point happens at some point in many people's lives. And there is a bit of luck as to what's happening to you around that time. If a lot of positive things are happening around that time, or you're surrounded by people who have a positive mindset at that time, then you're more likely to choose one way. And if you are surrounded by, if you are unlucky and a lot of negative things are happening to you at that time, and, or you're surrounded by people with a more of a negative mindset, you're more likely to go the other way. And so therefore, a lot of the reasons why you make that decision have nothing to do with you yourself. They've got to do with who is around you. So that means it's a bit, it's a, a lot of it's luck. Yeah,
0: and I think, uh, you know, this is a common part of the immigrant story at least. And, and like I said, going one of these two ways, but you know, and we'll break into kind of what's happening in the social dialogue around these issues today. But I think it's often like, your experience and the experience of your parents, as difficult as it as it was, and as I'm sure there was various elements of unfairness at many points along the way. But I think we we too often conflate easy with beneficial. I mean, as you just described, the challenges that you were forced to encounter and overcome, you know as a young person, as you were growing up and and observing those of your parents, you know, we're kind of like you know you were cast in the uh, in iron cast in the fire. You know, you you were trained early on to be more resilient, and you know this this happens to be the case with a lot of people that face challenges early on. If they don't crumble, right? If if you if if you crumble and you concede, then then it's it's not you don't get the same outcome. But like I think in in society at large today, we see a lot of cases where those people who have all the advantages from the get, you know, who don't have near as many struggles or obstacles to overcome, they actually become weak. They're not capable of meeting the challenges of their personal lives, their professional lives, the lives they might encounter out in the world. And that ultimately does them a disservice because as much as they may have a a head start at the beginning, oftentimes they squander it. Now, obviously I'm generalizing, it doesn't, it doesn't go for everybody, but I think cult, you know, having that, having hardship early on, I think is ends up being quite beneficial a lot of the time. And I think the success of immigrants, uh, around the world speaks to that largely.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And, um, I mean, the, I, I completely agree, but it, this actually, cause I obviously, cause I've lived this, you know, um, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about this and, it does come back to Bitcoin and inflation fundamentally. Um, But it also comes back, I'm going to link Bitcoin inflation and the Old Testament and and this, I'm going to link this (laughs) But, um, and Monopoly, I'm going to stick in a bit of Monopoly there as well. God, I'm excited. Life life is a game, it's a game that if you lose, you you sort of end up physically hurt and so on, but it's effectively a game Um, and, You can win or you can lose. Now, if you're thinking about it as a game Monopoly, um, what happens is people play the game and then some people win and some people lose. But this game never ends. And so um, at some point, it becomes less and less fun to play if someone's got all of the hotels and um, has, on Park Lane, Mayfair, it's probably different streets in America, but, you know very nice streets and you have none so what happens in normal games is you reset it at some point and actually they had this sort of they had this idea this is not a new idea and actually it was understood even in the old testament there's something called um the jubilee year every 49 years um in the Old Testament, there was this edict that everybody would have their, if, if they sold themselves into slavery because they did so badly, or they were really wealthy, everybody had all their lands and so on reset every 49 years, which is the equivalent of, if you think of life as a game of, okay, you've won, let's start again. Um, because also the people who are winning, when you, when you if you have a perpetual game where some people are way ahead and other people behind, it's not only the people behind who lose. But also the people who are way ahead lose as well because no one wants to play with them. It's not fun, and they lose the fun of actually innovating to try and win. So they, as you say, they become less effective, and so on. So everybody loses in that scenario. Now, that doesn't work because it requires, unfortunately, it probably it doesn't exist now because it requires some games master who is beyond reproach, which you know, guess what, doesn't exist. Um, and so which is why probably the jubilees stopped after I don't know a few hundred years or so. Um, however, I don't think you need a jubilee year to have a natural reset of people's positions. The way you na- if you look at what's happened historically, most people weren't able to retain wealth through many generations historically. Holding on wealth was historically very difficult to do so i.e. Um, generationally people's wealth was reset because what happens is as you become more wealthy you become um, two things Happened: your belief in your ability to be good goes up but your actual ability goes down which is why you get lots of people who may even lead uh, major countries in uh, major countries and world powers who think they're really good but are actually not very good at all you probably know one close to home um, so so but I won't name any particular names. And this is a natural effect of surrounding, living in an echo chamber and thinking you're better than you actually are. And then the people who are at the bottom of the rung actually are better than they think they are. Um, and other people think they're. So they're under, they're under um, they're undercounted in terms of their capability. So that should naturally equalize. However, if you have inflation if, and, and you have trickle-down economics, that effectively gives you a, an infinite get out of jail free card if we go back to the monopoly analogy. And that's the problem. If we can get rid of inflation, then then you don't have a scenario that even if I'm not really good at what I'm doing, like you've seen some organizations in the US right now have while the times were good, did it did incredibly well, and now they're all running to the government for bailouts, which is through inflation, through money printing to protect them because they're too big to fail, and that's the equivalent of being of Okay, when I win, I win. When I lose, I still win. So even if I'm no not good, I can I can continue to continue to be at the top. If we can get rid of that, then this is a great. Then this is fine. We will naturally the people at the bottom will naturally work harder, be willing to work tougher, and have a more realistic view of their ability than people at the top, and things will equalize. Yeah, yeah. I, did you see how I put it all together there? <laughs> oh,
0: beautiful, beautiful. I totally agree. Um, it, yeah, I, I love the analogies. And, you know, I think that a lot of us agree with that because all everyone starts from a different position in life, right? You just cannot avoid that. Different countries, different socioeconomic strata, different neighborhoods. You know, you can't start. We can, We don't all start from this pristine, equal place. That's just a fact of life. I think what we're all asking for in the Bitcoin space is, we just want everyone to be to be playing by the same rules. And if you're in a game that the rules are, are the same for everybody, then let's go. Let's compete. Let's see where everybody lands. Some people are going to have a head start and they're going to squander it. Some people are going to start lower and they're going to excel. That's just the name of the game. But as you say... Right now, we don't have that. We we have this this thing where the rules are are one set for a certain people who have a tremendous leverage in this game, and it it's at the detriment of most of the other people that are playing the game. And then a sliding you know a sliding scale all the way down depending on a number of different variables. And um, I, I agree. And this is part of the reason why. And I've gotten a little bit of flack for this, but what's going on in the states right now with the like the BLM movement, or in other parts of the world as well. I get the anger and the frustration, and you know many other things. But at core, that like we need to fix that because that's the the core issue that allows all these other things, if not to exist, but definitely amplifies them dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so, what's what's your take on what's going on in that realm? Yeah, today? so
1: Black Lives. Matter, I was just literally uh, <laughs> talking about this earlier. I mean, first of all, we have to separate black lives matter the organization from the philosophical concept of do black lives matter? Um, Unfortunately, I literally was talking about this uh, just a few moments ago. um, And, and and I'm going to give credit to learning about this concept to um, Celine Jim from, um, from uh, um, um, Blockstream who's an incredible um, um, UX uh, professional. on educating me to, to the concept of something called a dark pattern. And a dark pattern is where you will effectively hijack a concept to create some sort of offering to this um, and confuse your customer to, to, to gain some profit. Um, we see this closer to home in, in um, Bitcoin, where you have Bitcoin, the movement, Bitcoin, the philosophy, and then there is an organization, there's a company with called Bitcoin, <laughs> you, you know, who has... Who is using a dark pattern to confuse people away from and, and to, to profit? But um, we see this as well with Black Lives Matter. It's a company, and its actual objectives and um, and its 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 philosophy is very often misaligned from the actual philosophy of people who want to um, to improve the. Prove the, the the plight of black lives. So that's that's sort of first of all, you have to separate those two things. But then, in general, if I take so if I sort of don't even touch the the organisation because there's a lot, there's a lot that you have to unpick there. But if you look at the actual um, philosophy and the movement, I have always and I'm I will even more so than you, <laughs> um, because uh, for obvious reasons. My, what are you talking about? Um, but, but I I have also I feel that it's the wrong um, mindset as well, because I just think about it logically. You're gonna have people who are um, your partners, uh, who or people who are your allies, I think is the word, um, who, uh, who agree with the concepts, and then you're gonna have people who don't. And they may not agree, or they may agree for whatever reason, and sometimes it's because if you give them the right education, they might change their mind, so it's not, I'm not um, wanting to label someone as being racist just because they don't agree with the concept. It's just they agree or disagree. But, uh, but, but logically, there's those two groups. The people who agree don't need to be told that your life matters because they already agree. So it's redundant to tell them. And the people who disagree, um, you saying that will just probably reinforce their views as to why... Um, you're maybe you believe that you're you're um looking for benefits or handouts or whatever so it'll just cause them to entrench their view even more so either way it's either redundant or it just makes the situation worse i think instead let's just figure out what is the problem and how can we just make it uh, make it better directly as opposed to going out and talking about it we work with actions and that's why for me i think it's a couple of things but it's fundamentally we have to make this game of Monopoly um, fair. And how do we do that? What is wrong? What's gone wrong with this? And if you look at it, it all started when we started having, or it got, it, well, it didn't all start, but it got a big part of it in this modern economy, in modern economy, in the modern world we live in, comes down to inflation and also any mechanisms um, to be able to discriminate other than based on um, how your work product the quality of your thought and the quality of your argumentation, which is why I'm incredibly excited about things like remote working by default because um, it, it removes um, un, un, unrecognized or or implicit or, or um, accidental discrimination because, for example, having to go into a big city discriminates with people who can't afford to live in a big city, for example, without realizing. Or people having to work nine to five discriminates between people who have to maybe you have to look after young children and it's difficult for them to do, so on without even realizing it these conventions discriminate if i can work wherever i want to work anywhere in the world whenever i want to work and if i can work with things like vr so so that you don't even need to know what i look like you just see an avatar then you you have no ability i've removed all your abilities to discriminate um, and if i can interact with you um, pseudonymously with a cryptocurrency, to and I, and I can only go on to look at the quality of the product, and that's all I've got to go on. And and your and the quality of your service, that becomes a pure meritocracy. And we've seen that. There's a TED talk that goes where this guy um, was a researcher was asked to research darknet markets, and I'm not uh, suggesting that I'm condoning what's sold on darknet markets at all. Especially as a company who is um, um, in the process of um, some, um, applying for regu- regulation in the UK, um, so I'm definitely not condoning that. Um, just to be clear, but really. um, but um, he was he was he was um, um, tasked. Um, he was given the task of researching darknet markets, and he was assuming it was going to be this just terrible environment. He went away with the conclusion that this will be the future of all commerce. And he did this really fun, and, and it's funny because the products were lots of jokes because the products were weed and so on and so forth, but it, forget the products. Think about what happens. You have an environment where all you have to go on is the quality of the product, the quality of the service, because you don't know who the person is. You don't know where they are in the world or anything. And what, what he found was that the service levels put every other um, organization to shame because even one if you have anything less than a 100% approval ratio for your customers, no one uses you. Your usage goes to zero. So you have to have 100% um, customer satisfaction. Think about the level of service and quality of the gift to have a 100% satisfaction ratio. It's through the roof. And that's why it's going to be, and that's why he believed ultimately, and he gave all the examples of the, the lengths people would go to provide great service, absolute 100% money back guarantee, all these stuff, um, advisory on how to use it, how to education about the risks around uh, drugs and so on. They did all of these things to just deal with any particular issue that a customer would have. And that is why pure meritocracy leads to the best rising to the top. And so I'm really excited about the future over the next few years.
0: Yeah, extremely well said. And I couldn't agree more. <clears throat> you know, some like with the the issue that's going on. The pro, one of the problems is that it's there's so much emotion and charge wrapped up in it. Because like you said, and you know I've I've thought and said the same. It's like if people already agree with the statement Black Lives Matter, then they're not the ones you're trying to convince. And the other ones you really think yelling in their face or protesting or burning things or whatever your chosen method of convincing them is, do you think that's going to change their mind? Of course not. And so um, you know I think. That's why I try to promote and, you know, like to see uh, level-headed people having this discussion and coming to root causes of, of of a lot of these problems, because it's so easy as you're, you know, we talk about the politicians, they, I think by and large, they know the jig. They'd rather put the spotlight on, you know, taking the knee or wearing a certain type of clothes or putting out a statement or a company rather than putting the spotlight on that thing that gives them their in, you know, undue imbalance of power. And, and, and like I've said before, and this is somewhat unpopular, but everyone is both victimizer and victim. The matter is just degree, you know, and the matter is a matter of perspective, right? um And if you were, if your neighbor had a printing press in their basement, there's only two people in the world, you and your neighbor, your neighbor has a printing press for with money that you accept and you don't how fast would you become a slave to that neighbor? Probably same day because anything that they want, you know, they could just make you do anything because they have infinite amount of money to pay you and you've got to work for your incremental increases in, in your money. So, you know, it's a, it's a far more complex and nuanced issue than, you know, certainly the mainstream media and even most people who ha- have these discussions uh, give mm. credit to. And that's why I, you know, I've tried to, have the discussion these days a little bit so that there's at least another perspective, not to say that mine is correct, but at least that there's more voices in this discussion so that people might come across thinking of of the kind that you just articulated, where you say, we need to focus on, you know, the the core problem, and then we can address more kind of uh, symptomatic problems up the ladder later on, because, you know, obviously there's important issues that need to be addressed on every level.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that you said there, and I agree with most of it. I've, I would, I, 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 well, I don't, I, even the one I've, i I would like to clarify my view mm-hmm. and to, to just to, to separate it from yours, I agree with. It's just, I like, I think there's a level of detail that I want to go in, which is you said we all have discrimination um, against us in different ways, and that is true. So we're all victim and victimized. Yeah, yeah, we're all victim yeah. and victimized. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I believe that is true. But I also believe in uh, it's also clear and apparent that different people have different levels of victimization yeah. you know and so I said also, it's just a
0: matter of degree yeah.
1: right and we're also we're all um privileged or or underprivileged in different ways as well but there are there is a strata, and there are some people you know a disabled uh girl totally. in in, uh, in in living on the streets in calcutta is 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 not going to if, even if she's, um, you know, five times as clever as both of our combined IQs, is probably not going to. Re- it's unlikely to get to uh, to uh, um, the end point in her life with, of a level of success as we will. Just, just, it's just done very unlikely. So, so I just, I just want to be because I do think some people have this view that no matter where you start, you can end up at the top. And the reality is, it's no, no matter where you start, you can you can maybe get further along from where you started, but it could take quite a few generations for, for someone eventually to get to the top. And that is something that I'm not willing to wait for. And, and I would like us to from you know, get closer to that sort of scenario that no matter where you start, you can end at the end. And, and that, for me, requires what technology is out there, what thing out there can accelerate the future um, to that degree. And it's only one thing. It's the advance of technology. That's the only thing that can allow us to foreshorten these timescales. And that's why I was thinking radically, how can I get it so I don't, you know, I'm, I'm happy for my child's child's child to be in that scenario. But I prefer it to be me. And I don't prefer it to anybody in the world to be on that state, stage just now. And that's why, as I say, Bitcoin, it has to be radical. And it's Bitcoin, it's widespread VR, widespread remote working AI as well. These disruptions, and even biological technologies like coronavirus it 's causing more change in the world in six months than any other technology and, and there 's a question of it was, it was invented by nature, it was invented by man, but it is effectively a biological technology, and even though some of its effects are horrendous, it has definitely changed the world to a significant degree. Um, these things. Um, frighten me, and at the same time, excite me, because they are have the potential to change the world really, really quickly. And I'm talking about years, not decades.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. And and that's why I put the, you know, after saying everyone's both victimizer and victim, I said that the difference is a matter of degree, right? And oh, as okay. we said, as we said a number of minutes ago, yeah. you, you know, everyone's going to be starting at a different place. And I totally agree, you know, that, you know, yeah, stereotypical person in a small village in Africa, with you know, is starting so further down on the ladder that it may be impossible in their lifetime. And I'll, I'll caveat that with what follows on your and your comment on tech. But it may be impossible for them, for them to achieve the same heights as I might achieve if we're if it's a financial metric that we're looking at, because they have so much ground to make up. Uh, but I, you know, we're in this culture today where people seem to be ashamed of their or of their privilege your privilege is not your fault. It's most of the time de facto. I can't, I can't control where I was born, nor nor you, where you were born and into what situation. So your, your privilege is not your fault, but it is your responsibility and you will be judged through it. So what your privilege indicates is like, well, someone's going to look at you and be like, man, you started a middle-class family, stable, you know, uh, province or country, all the opportunities and you still blew it. Well, man, you know, I'm going to like, and people are just going to de facto judge you for that in some way. They might, they may not articulate it, but they're going to look and be like, uh, you know, what's wrong with this dude? Like he had, he had everything going for him. And then, you know, equally, if we see those success stories of people coming from this small village in Kenya and they started, you know, cattle farming when they were younger and they managed to save up enough money to go to school in London, they became the head of this startup and now they're a billionaire. You're like, oh my God, like that person is rad you know like they really nailed it and so that you like it's it's not your fault it but you will probably be seen through the lens of your your background and where you came from and the relative privileges that you have but i love your point about technology because and i think this is why we think bitcoin is so important Mm. bitcoin makes sure makes sure that the rules of the game are the same for everybody and that's foundational right that is the core foundation and then what you're saying about The different technologies that enable people to work remotely, work anonymously, uh, leverage their intellectual, their IP from that village in Kenya and bring it to market in the U.S. and all these different technologies that are allowing people to do that, that that levels the playing field once the game, the rules have been established. So that means that that person that grew up in that village in Kenya now as you were saying, they can they can make up a lot of time and make up many rungs on that ladder because those technologies are leveling the playing field, which is amazing. That you know that we get way closer to a real meritocratic uh, game to when we're playing when that's the case.
1: But be careful what you ask for, because in this case, so gonna kick our asses. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think people. I think I, I mean I sort of started off saying thinking years ago. Before this technology was around, what would be needed? And I, this was before Bitcoin. Um, and at one point, until Bitcoin came in, I didn't think I could see a path to all of the different elements. But Bitcoin was a really interesting key part of it. And then it was just a matter of waiting. So VR, I thought, was always thought was a big part of it. I, I studied, you know, I did um, um, graphic build, graphic engines in um, in university. I, I built one of the first multiplayer, massive multiplayer games online in, in a, in while I was working for News International. Um, and my last job before becoming an entrepreneur was for the VP of Engineering for a Massively Multiplayer Virtual World with 30 million users where we created a virtual currency. This was two years before Bitcoin. This was back in 2007, 2008. So I've got a lot of background in building games. And so I was really interested in seeing VR as a big part of it. And we all know, we just need to read any sci-fi movie, we, I mean, sci-fi book. We know uh, what the future should be. It should be, you know, um, Ready Player One, um, Matrix, Snow Crash, and this world. So the issue is this. Um, when you have, you know, the hundreds of millions of people in Africa and south america and so on connected via starlink and finally they have high speed internet which isn't ridiculously expensive and unreliable um, in the next two or three years what do you think that's going to do to the average amount and also remote working has now been proven to work and it doesn't actually reduce productivity and in many cases increases it prepare for a tenfold increase in competition for every job and do you really think, when I've got people I know in, in Africa, in Nigeria, who have two hours of internet and, and power a day, and they write the code for their applications on paper, based on and thinking about how it would work in their head, and then in their two hours, they, they type up the code, and it works first time. And you're competing against those guys? But well, now they've got 24-7 in, internet <laughs> at reasonable costs, and they're able to provide a service and transact in Bitcoin? Uh, good luck. And, and good luck for me as well. And good luck for you. <laughs> There's going to be this explosion of competition, which is why I'm I'm really excited about it, but I'm also really afraid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're afraid in a good way, right? You're in afraid- a good way, yes. Like-
1: I, this, is, I, this is what I expected. It's a period. I expected it to happen. But we're, we're the, the, after that is auto, um, artificial general intelligence, which may or may not come in 10, 20, 30 years. But before that, you're going to have these hordes of, uh, we're talking about probably billion plus people
2: um,
1: who have been hungry for a look-in to, to all of this business. And they're willing to work 20 hours a day and do a second job with the rainy four hours. And, you know, they will advertise to offer an offering and they'll say they'll deliver in a month. And in that month, they'll learn the programming language and deliver the project. They'll yeah. do whatever it takes and charge half the price and be very, very happy with that scenario. So there's gonna be an explosion of competition for any role and any job. So yeah, yeah. Uh, just be ready for it.
0: Yeah, I love it. This, this is the cyclical nature of things balancing themselves out. And sometimes these cycles take longer, but you know this, this may shift a tremendous amount of wealth and influence to those people who are now willing to actually leverage their work ethic and their determination and all those other things to bring value to the market. And maybe it shifts there and then that will create another imbalance that will, that will make another shift and another shift. Like, but of course that's a good thing, man. Like I, competitions like this, right. I don't know if you've done uh, sports or, you know, yep, anything, yep. but like when you're, whether you're at the beginning of a race line, whether you step into the ring to, to, you know, spar with somebody, whatever it is, like you're nervous. Cause you're like, this person has been training. This person is like, you know, determined. This person doesn't want to lose. I've got to match or exceed that if I want any chance of success here. And so, you know, you're right. It's going to be very disruptive for all those people that have basically just been kind of, uh, you know, to, to use a, a, a recent term, yield farming in their in their various <laughs> ways. Uh, you know, to turn, depending on where they were born and their various privileges they uh, received as a result of that. Um, there's going to be a lot of disruption, but the net effect is going to be good. We're going to get more and better services brought to market. And all of those people who feel the pressure from that, they're going to have to up their game. They're going to have to level up if they want to compete. They're going to have to find a way to bring value to the market. And that's the way it should be. The underlying thing, that the only thing that matters is that everyone's playing by the same rules. And now we have these technologies that's going to level the playing field a bit. Fucking awesome! I love it, you know. And and okay. look, man, I remember I'm,
1: that when 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 um, <laughs> someone in out of Ghana just, replaces your podcast and like, <laughs> okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, be careful when you ask. I hey mean, man, it's gonna no,
2: nobody else can be me. That's my only <laughs> saving grace.
1: No, I mean, I I, I was just really interesting because like, so. I've always liked this idea of being as digital nomad and now again I'm really excited about remote working and we we're, we're going to be 95% remote from basically we've decided from now on we'll have this hub still in London but and people can work there if they want to of course but I think m- most people will um, be comfortable working remotely and and I, I think many also not I think I know from talking to CEOs of other um, um, dot-coms in the UK, this is going to be, many, many dot-coms are going to follow suit with this mindset. Um, And so as such, I've looked at living on boats. um, I've looked at, uh, you know, my first property I looked at to buy was a boat before I even looked at a physical property. I ended up not going for it, but I looked at it. I have more recently been a real geek for van life, which is the whole concept of, it's basically living in a caravan, but it's, technologies have now made it very very comfortable with underfloor heating and you know dope.
0: Uh, I, I i took a motorhome around europe in 2018 for three months it's awesome
1: it's got it's got really good now and um and so that's a whole movement that's that's gaining steam, and there's also airbnb life in it which is sort of equivalent but using like um airbnb still and everything in between um, and so and I also know a number of people. Some are bit well they're, well, some are bitcoiners and some um, weren't bitcoiners, but because they know me. now they're bitcoiners. So they're all bitcoiners um, who have taken their families, and the Swiss family Robertson, like they've, you know, they're traveling and, and, they're, and they're showing that you can homeschool and have incredible outcomes for your kids with all the technology out there and they're living around the world. And you start discussing where would you live, especially in this world where your location is less important. And in the past, you looked at places like Bali, and they looked at New Zealand, you know, looked at uh, various places in Europe, like um, Portugal is another place. There's all these sites that can do this. But um, recently, um, um, the name that's come up quite a lot um, for the first time is um, places in West Africa like Ghana has come up, and there are other. There's a there's some organisations we have in the UK like the Waiero organisation which is trying to set up um, that that has hundreds or well, thousands of people who put money towards this this group that that helps um, the community and also the diaspora, and it also helps um, funds charities in Africa, and they're also trying to look at potentially building. Cities, free cities, which will run on virtual currencies and so on. And I know you've got the 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 um, televised, the, the much publicised um, Acon with his uh, with his Acon um, city and so stuff like that. But you are seeing this increase in people working in the cryptocurrency space in in this in this tech sector in West Africa. So i you know, we were starting to look at, let's sort of take a trip down to Ghana and think about relocating there. Because this is, and if you also hear the words of the prime, um, prime minister or um, the president of Ghana, it's really, really, really um, articulate guy. And he's talking about, we should not, you know, this is embarrassing. We no longer should be worrying about taking money from other countries. We need to, to, to provide it ourselves And they provide this visa that anybody from um, the black diaspora can come, and 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 have citizenship in 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 Ghana, which is without without a similar concept to what um, um, Israel did for anybody who was Jewish. They're doing that, saying we are the homeland for anybody. So I think that um, you know Ghana, for example, could be although I'm not Ghanaian, and normally Nigerian and Ghanaian there's always this proxy battle between the two, but I think there's an opportunity for seeing places like Ghana becoming the sort of the new you know. To, to, to coin a sort of cheesy sort of phrase, but becoming the this new Wakanda type place. And I'm sort of really exciting to see this, that there's interest that people are going there, not just as a sense of duty, because a sense of excitement. It's like so much stuff's happening and, I, and it's developing so fast. And, then, and I think that's going to accelerate over the coming um, years.
0: Totally agree. I think all of these issues, whether it's, you know, again, the stereotypical village person in Kenya, realizing that they can now monetize some aspect of their IP or their time. They just plug into this swirling system of the internet and value. And there's a bunch of, yeah, there's a bunch of people over here that like, I don't want to do this work. And now these people over here can be like, I'll do it. And they just, they're just sucking that value over to them. Um, This in this, in a similar manner with, because I think the established jurisdictions and countries, they're going to, turn very protectionist during these changes right because they're going to try to maintain their competitive advantages and they're going to think that in do- the best way of doing that is to closing themselves off in many ways yep, right we, we don't want to, that that competition to come in blah 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 so um i think we'll see more and more people just make this economic calculation especially if you're in bitcoin especially if you have a non sovereign you know you know transferable over national borders money and you realize i could be anywhere you know and especially if you derive your income via technology or online then you start to realize quickly like it's just my choice now where, where do i want to be where's the best jurisdiction and this gets touched on in in the often quoted sovereign individual uh, book but you know people will start thinking and, and jurisdictions will start competing for those people Like as you mentioned you know uh, various jurisdictions might be like all right well we're not really trying to protect anything because we're kind of starting, for, you know, in a relatively lower position than all those come, developers. Come. Come. Yeah, come and uh, these are the services provide. This is the freedoms will, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And people might be like, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. Nice yeah. weather, good food, whatever, let's go.
1: And here's the thing. Just unlike previous times where people would outsource stuff to other countries, they would outsource the low-value right, um, services. But now, if you think about it, the highest and you can just work out what the highest value services are by where we find the most millionaires, the most millionaires worldwide are either come from the finance sector or from the technology sector. And what's interesting about both those sectors is that they are purely informational based sectors. Um, And if we take specifically, if we take programming, you can be anywhere in the world. I can, I, and you can deliver that program for me. I know it does. it's the the product equivalent of Bitcoin in that I don't really need to know anything about you. I just need the work product. I just need it to do what I need to do. Maybe I might get a separate person, if I have trust issues, to verify that you haven't put any backdoors in the code and so on. But again, I can get a separate person to do that verification. But the actual creation of the code, it doesn't matter where you are in the world because the code itself is a bearer product. It is the thing that you're looking for. And so, that's going to be interesting because for the first time ever, we're going we're outsourcing the most valuable tasks. And if you're coming from, let's say, you know, South America or Southern Asia or or um, it tends to be places below the equator for some reason. Um, um, for some reason, are are, are the, the the poorer countries in the world um, at at this point in time. That may flip, but um, or, or Africa, you can now. Um, provide a service to someone in in the West, for example, in a in a high development index uh, um, um, by the Human Development Index um, um, rating, a, a very high development index country, for example, the UK or US. And you, but you can provide a service which they value highly and they're willing to pay a lot for, not just a service that they're not willing to pay much for, like manufacturing or raw goods, etc. And that is. Is is something that's very new, and um, that's going to be really disruptive. So people are going to be competing with the most valuable jobs, not the least. And that's why I'm saying we have to be ready to understand that's a new world, and that's coming. Just and I, I track all this going. Starlink, just two weeks ago, was saying they're starting to betas, beta testing, and they're planning by the 2021 by the end of 2021 to have it worldwide. And if you look at their advertising and marketing, they spend most of their time talking about. First is the U.S. and it's giving access to rural parts of the U.S. And then is Europe and Germany and so on. And then, oh, yeah, and by the way, we can also give it to Africa. But you have to understand that little, by the way, is going to be the real big disruption. It won't make that much money to their bottom line. But on a, on a, on a geopolitical, on a um, socioeconomic um, point of view, that's incredibly disruptive. You've got these people waiting, champing at the bit, you know. <laughs> And then the firing line, when it goes on in that country, is, is going to be insane.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I'm excited by that. Um, so let's talk about, because I think these these protectionist I'm policies. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting there. I think these protectionist policies that we'll see come from the developed economies and the people that have, quote unquote, had it good for a long time. Uh, well, I, I think protectionist policies and A variety of other social and economic factors are causing a lot of of unrest in these places not to say there's not unrest in other parts of the world but i think you know there um you know there's a lot of chaos as we said at at the very beginning of this this chat um and i think those jurisdictions that you just uh, referenced again some not all but you know they have stability like they have a certain amount of stability simply because People want to like really genuinely are motivated to improve their lot, improve the quality of their lives. And so whatever you know, other perhaps more minor issues that don't really influence that much, that you know the, they don't get as much press because people just want to work and improve their lives and try to enjoy their lives. and they, they've kind of been deprived of that in many cases for a long time. And as a result, they're they're far more focused on capitalizing on opportunities rather than playing, the the political you know pandering game of who can get what resources from the monolith handing out the you know the you know the the, the candies i.e. the government right um, but nevertheless in developed markets we have uh, you know there's a lot of chaos going on today you are in many ways and the 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 work you do the company you have are in the eye of the storm mm. um, even though most people may not see that uh, see it that way right now What's been your impression about everything that's going on, and what's been um, kind of the interaction, or what's been going on at Co- Coinfloor in terms of interest and, you know, uh, volume and that kind of stuff?
1: So oh, there's so many aspects to, to wherever that. you want to go. Yeah, wherever I want to go. Um, um, yeah, we are in the eye of the storm. I mean, on one hand, we, we are the bridge between the fiat world on one hand. So you can't see my hands because they're off screen, but, but the fiat <laughs> world and, and well, the crypto world, which is Bitcoin, basically, in our, in our view. And um, these are both very different worlds and with um, very different philosophies. And so having to bridge those two together is an incredibly tumultuous place you got these it's like Scylla and Charybdis is literally you are between Scylla and Charybdis um so
2: what's Scylla and Charybdis
1: um a rock and a hard place sorry it's okay. there it was a rock of Scylla and Charybdis was um um the hard place was the was the sea and a tumultuous sea and this and this boat I think it was this Greek I believe it's Greek legend one of the you know Jason the Argonauts type legend I believe I can't remember which one but or it could have been uh like, um um the Iliad, I can't remember, but um, you have this boat, and and many boats would go between this sort of really tumultuous part of the sea, um, um, and this this sort of fawny, um rocky outcropping, and they would be either destroyed by the sea or be smashed into the rocks. So we, we so it was like it, there's a phrase now: you're caught you're caught between Scylla and Charybdis, which or Uh, Now to translate it as you caught between a rock and a hard place. Ah,
2: that's where it comes from. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. that's where it comes from Um, I can't remember the exact sort of um, Story where it came from but but those were those were the two pieces. So um, Yeah, so to remind myself so we are we are the proverbial boat between the rock and the hard place and um, It stretches us in many ways. So on one hand, Um, We want to fight against on the the, the challenges on the crypto side is fighting against lots of people who want to um, use dark patterns, effectively, to distract people with short term profits and and misdirect them from the core value properties, propositions of Bitcoin, which is, for example, be your own bank. In 2014, 2013, it was very clear you can be your own bank. And, and one of the other core philosophies is don't trust Verify, for example. But now a lot of sites out there say, no, no, use, use our own wallet and we can give you all these fun products and so on, which hold all your capital with us, which means that you're still not your own bank. We've, we've got you into big crypto, but you're not actually in crypto, but you think you're in crypto. So there's that side that we have to fight against. And there's a lot of pushback and battles that we have to have there. And on the other side, on the fiat side, we have to make sure we work with regulators, make sure they understand, don't overregulate, um, but provide appropriate levels of regulation to make them comfortable and support that. Um, and so that is also another challenge because we then have to explain to our customers and educate them why that we are doing the things we are doing and, that, and, and why we have to do them and, and the purposes behind them. And as we exist in a fiat world, Those are the rules of the fiat world we exist in, so we must work to those rules. Um, And so that's, again, a large challenge because um, customers get confused. It's like they wonder why you as a small organization often have to ask for far more information than it appears that larger organizations don't seem to always need to ask. The difference is sometimes those people, those large organizations collect the information in more automated ways. And other times it's because... These larger organizations have the ability to pay small fines um, for them, you know, a small few million dollar fine and 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 operate in, in a different way if people are are friends of the organization. So there's a there's a there's various reasons why it's a it's a challenge, but I believe we're navigating that challenge. In terms of the feedback that we got when we announced we're going Bitcoin only. That's another dimension. We, we don't like to make things easy for ourselves. I mean, um, the announcement on CoinDesk was the most popular, well, most retweeted um, um, post they made for, 20, um, for 2019, and we announced it in December. So that was probably the most, at that point, mid-December, it was the end of the year. And I was remember the same year that they, they posted about um, Libra and Facebook, um, for example, and many other stories. So what that told us, even then, was there was something right about what we're doing here. We we have sort of hit a zeitgeist, you know, a moment uh, uh, like the Vox Pop, the way people are thinking. I'm just, I don't know. So, so I keep using terms, and I'm just, I
2: got I got that uh, worried one. Worried <laughs> that people do know what these mean. <laughs>
1: um, and so, and that's continued on since then, and we are seeing in this sort of fight um, between sort of. Misinformation and monetary re-education. More and more allies in this resistance, and you're seeing these people. I mean, existing allies like yourself and others, um, but new people. People creating these incredible memes, and people um, creating, already created and soon to launch many educate. There's this plethora explosion of Bitcoin-only educational sites aimed at all age ranges, all demographics. It's, it's already amazing, and, I, and sneak peeks of some of the stuff that's coming out. I'm, I'm just so excited. And, and maybe we've learned. Maybe ICOs have helped us to learn that, you know, um, it's important to um, – UX is important. It's incredibly important. Um, explaining things and educating people is important. I actually have the view that it's important for a different reason than I thought, even only six months ago. I used to think I want to get as many people into Bitcoin as possible um, way back. And then I changed my mind and I thought, no, Bitcoin is its own gravitational well. It's a black, it's this this, um, black hole that's drawing everything in. Um, And so everybody will ultimately get into it. Some people are fortunate enough to be closer to it philosophically and some people are further away. And so those ones will come in first and the other ones will come in later. So I don't have to worry about that. So I refined my view and I thought, our job is instead to just make sure that they don't get caught up at sort of planet Ethereum or planet Ripple or whatever on the way towards, towards, um, um, towards um, Bitcoin. And then, and then most recently, I realized that you, what you don't want to do is have people come into Bitcoin when they're not ready to come into Bitcoin because Bitcoin is definitely a technology. It's also this economic, a series of economic rules, but most importantly, it's a philosophy and it's the philosophy which underpins everything else. It's the thing that protects the economics and it protects the technology from going in a direction it shouldn't go. And so if you look at groups of people, the philosophy of the group tends to be informed by the people who are early on in the group. And so you, so actually you want to curate the early holders and educate them to make sure we keep the philosophy strong. You hear it a lot in organizations and companies, the company culture, we want to maintain, the company culture that got us at this level, we want to maintain that culture, i.e. the philosophy. Because if, you get the, if the philosophy starts to drift, the company would drift towards something you don't want. So if all of a sudden we bring on lots of people who come from the traditional space and think like they did and have the philosophy of the traditional space and they become too large an element of Bitcoin too early on, then you'll end up with Bitcoin over time will necessarily switch over time to become more and more like the traditional system. So we have to protect the philosophy and that means actually... We need to be careful about making sure we educate people who are open-minded. And if someone, I was asked a question the other day, if someone says, I'll probably tweet it next week, but if someone says, um, you know, Bitcoin is a scam, my answer now is, correct, Bitcoin is definitely a scam, you should stick with fiat, definitely. You know, (laughs) because that's not the, because philosophically, if they're saying, is Bitcoin a scam? Can you explain to me? That's a different thing. They're open. They want to learn. But if they're telling Bitcoin's a scam, you're 100% correct. Actually, there's this Ethereum thing. You should check that out. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't, you're right 100% about Bitcoin. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I, I, that's really, really <clears throat> interesting. And I think myself <laughs> and many of us probably haven't articulated it in those terms before because we're it's easy to, to fall into the trap of just wanting this thing to happen as soon as possible, right? Because we know how beneficial ultimately this thing can be. There's no guarantees, of course, as you just articulated, but we, we, we know this potential of this thing. and We want to bring it about as, as, as soon as possible. And that turns us into advocates. And this, you know, we talk about it with people and we try to get, you know, anyone with a willing ear to get involved. But I think that's a really strong point that you made that, you know, we have to be careful that we don't bring people in before they're ready because we risk the risk of doing so is that, uh, as you say, that cohort could become so big that it might change Bitcoin uh, in ways that we, you know, think may be detrimental. The flip side of that is you might say, well, you know, Bitcoin. Well, let's leave it there. But what I'd like to um uh, ask you is what you think bitcoin's philosophy is right because you said the this cohort of people may not you said bitcoin fundamentally is a philosophy and if we bring people in before they kind of start to see that then it could be detrimental what do you think
1: as a philosophy bitcoin is okay well to understand my thoughts on that um self-promotion you should i um i and also my um co-director um my um uh, the person who actually um, does most of the job of running um, um, CoinFloor, uh, Teggy, uh, we write our thoughts on this on our, on our CoinFloor blog because we think that a big part of what we've got to do as CoinFloor is not just providing a way for people to buy Bitcoin easily. And while they're custodying us, custody it in a transparent way, although we but the most important thing as well is to educate them. And so I did a blog post about how to become a Bitcoin wizard um i'm playing on the harry potter and jk rowling um, terminology and i talk about the magic spells of bitcoin and so there are things like don't trust verify is one philosophy uh, monetary re-education i.e learn to actually understand how money really works various and numerous strength in numbers that we get the more we get stronger as we work together um, and these are some of the key rules. And then the last one is to be your own bank monetary self sovereignty. So I would say these are some of the core philosophies, um, that, um, that, um, underpin, underpin Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's very easy. to has <laughs> been a lot of time it.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check out those blog posts. And what about in these times, uh, kind of back to the original question, what, what's been, interest, volume, signups, if you're willing to share any of those sorts of details. Um, because obviously we're in this climate now where all of these uh, you know egregious acts taken by central banks that bitcoiners have been uh, critical of for the last you know over a decade now, we're seeing them in a more magnified way than we've ever seen them before. And even the mainstream is starting to pick up on these stories like, trillion dollars and why pay taxes and money printer and infinite, you know, access to capital and the, you know, this, these ideas and these terms are entering the public lexicon. And I think more and more people are starting to maybe have light bulb moments or if not light bulb moments, but just to question like, how is that even possible? And presumably as Bitcoiners, we would have perhaps thought that this is, you know, this is game time for, for Bitcoin. This is what Bitcoin was built for. Um, and I, I, my opinion is that we will see interest, but we're, as, as we said, we're in the eye of the storm and there's just chaos right now. And what, what are you guys seeing vis-a-vis interest and, and stuff like that? Okay.
1: So as I said, uh, you can imagine what I'm going to say, but it's been very, very good for you. Very, very good since launch. Um, this is why we are, you know, it was a, a big risk to go Bitcoin only and to go back into retail. But even based on the first three months of our retail offering, we've sort of made the call that we're really going to focus on on this. And we think that this. of course, we have a very good um, and long running exchange offering and that's still a core business. But we really see um, um, a future in the auto buy. That's the dollar cost averaging regular Um, payments you can also use autobuy to make one-off payments very easily as well straight from your banking app but it's the the thing that we recommend for most people is to to make um, regular repeat payments and we think that that's definitely of its time Um, there's been some surprises some I'll say some I won't because I think we want to use them from a strategic point of view Um, from the feedback of our customers who are who've come into this and the reasons why Um, one is people we're noticing people are coming day one already sort of philosophically um understanding bitcoin correctly now um i.e um they're seeing things like they're getting no but you're getting the people who were historically savers So, these are people who are maybe less, more risk averse. Because I think the first generation of people into Bitcoin were the risk tolerant people who wanted to speculate and gamble. Now, these people coming in are the other 99%, I like to say, who are people who don't like to gamble. Most people don't like to gamble. We just, because we've been surrounded in Bitcoin, people who like to gamble, we think that that's the world, but there's most people who don't. And those are the people coming in now who wouldn't have touched Bitcoin because they thought it would, in the past, because they thought, even though they don't like to gamble, a product which effectively an investment or or regular savings like product wouldn't make sense because the underlying technology itself still seems risky in their mind so it seems because of all the stuff's happening that they now see bitcoin as being around for over a decade plus everything else it's actually the underlying technology at least for bitcoin is safe enough in their mind it's been around long enough and so now they are wanting to come in, come in, but they want thing that want products that are more like savings, like products, and that's what's really interesting. So they are first and foremost savers, as opposed to in the mindset, as opposed to speculators. And so that's really interesting and new. Um, growth of the product's been really good, um, high double-digit percentages month for month since it started, and we're. Um, it was still very new, but we're hoping to see that increase and and uh, over the coming over the coming months. But I won't go into for context. When did it start? When did you start? It off started. It started in Q in Q one of this year. I mean, we announced it. We announced it in in Q one, and it started in Q one. How do um, you guys get the word out? Uh, to begin with, we got the word out by just announcing it to people, and then word of mouth and word of mouth has been really powerful i mean there's been a lot of people out there who have just been sharing the word and so on as i said there's been this explosion of the timing was 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 excellent but it was by pure luck there's this explosion of people who want to educate um people about bitcoin and there's these bitcoin only sites yo bitcoin.com bitcoin-only.com um, Jameson Lops, Bitcoin.page, and many others are, 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 are launching and many others I'm aware of are going to be launching. And then on top of that, we had a, an aff- we have an affiliate offering, which is one of the most generous affiliate offerings in the space that, that launched only a couple of months ago as well. And that's starting to get very good pickup as well. But, and now we're starting to see a lot of our advertising campaigns are getting ready to go online. Um, but I won't go too much into those, but that, we're quite excited about those as well. Um, yeah. And then there's other things we're seeing. We're seeing demographics that we weren't expecting to see before are really starting to come in. But yours, um, so for example, the baby boomer demographic, we were initially thinking millennials, everybody was thinking millennials, but actually the baby boomer demographic is, um, was, we were really surprised. There's a lot of people in that demographic who are coming in and, Actually, our offering is very, very well suited to them. And that's and that was what uh, what um, really uh, made us get very excited. Um, and for other sites and offerings to not be well suited, to, to also try to really be well suited to them would require them to rip everything up and start from the beginning. So for example, they don't want to deal with multiple cryptocurrencies. So you'd have to get rid of everything else because they want it to be really simple and multiple choices just complicate the offering for many people in that space. So that's straight away would be very hard for most other exchanges to do. Um, they don't want to see these complex leverage based trading offerings again. All of the sort of derivatives or leverage that again. So it eliminates a lot of people um, and it'll be very hard. Some of these exchanges cannot delist certain currencies. Some very large exchanges that you all know the names of literally give people money to learn about um, cryptocurrencies. And they might be doing it out of the kindness of their own heart, but it's likely they're being paid <laughs> to do that. And um, as such, if you're being paid to do something, you have some contractual arrangement with someone. Again, it's a little conjecture, but it may be that it, there'll be limitations on your ability to delist something, mm. which means that you're going to have this confusion overhead that we don't have to have. Um, another surprise is, um this big generation doesn't necessarily want another app that they have to then get their granddaughter or grandson to help them install and so our app doesn't uh, we don't actually focus on that we allow you to use your own banking app that you've or, or your own bank account um processes that you are used to for example in our we call them standing orders where you can contact your bank and make regular i don't know if it's called the same thing in the us uh, make yeah. regular payments we can use that to do to, to do um to use our that's, system—that's that's huge, man. That must be a huge yeah. hurdle for the boomer. Yeah, population. because but here it's empowering because standing orders have been around for decades, so they understand them. It's not a new thing, a new app to learn and and use. With and and all these apps are these are full of dark patterns designed to get them to do things like trade this thing or do this or do all this sort of stuff. When all they want to do is get Bitcoin, and they have to fight through all of these adverts and so on. So there's a misalignment of incentives between what a big baby boomer wants and what uh, one, uh, one of these other Bitcoin exchanges wants. And what we've done is made it its very simple. We just made sure our incentives and and these our customers are aligned and everything else flows from that. So i'm really excited for the next six months. That's awesome, man. Good
0: for you guys for making that call and making the decision so much easier for people that want some exposure to this. Because you're so right, like, back, still these days, actually, I was going to say back in the day, but still, you know, if, if you shield somebody Bitcoin, right, they're like, oh, that's cool. I get it. You know, I think it's worth, you know, investing a portion of my portfolio or my savings or whatever. You're like, cool, go to X website or exchange and you show up and you've got charts and graphs and, you know, like neon colors and order books. And you're like, what in the fuck is all of this? um that was and that site, by the way <laughs> <laughs> and that turns people away right because yep. most people don't want to mess around with graphs or this or that they just want to do one simple thing they want to buy some bitcoin and then they want to you know take it off and put it somewhere safe and that the 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 waters are so muddied by these companies in the space that because ultimately they're greedy they want to you know they want one trading revenues and two, as many different, you know, trading pairs in order to facilitate those revenues as possible. And so they make the core thing that most, you know, that most people that get into this, to this space want to do exceedingly hard and complicated, and that keeps people out. And so, you know, kudo- kudos to you guys for for making that a lot simpler for people, because uh, now shilling is easy, right? But, you know, now if I have a nice conversation with someone and they kind of see the light and they're interested, I can say, cool, don't go crazy. What what you should do is find, you know, in your jurisdiction a DCA, you know, exchange provider and you just sign up, put in your details, you know, five bucks a week, hundred bucks a month, whatever your thing is, just set it and forget it. You don't need to mess around with trying to trade. You don't want to fall into that trap. You know, it's so it's so easy and it's so much easier to shill on that yeah. basis as well, too, because one of the apprehensions I've had about, you know, pitching this to people in the past was people get on board. And then like, so should I take 10 grand and like invest it now? What do you think the market's going to do this week or next week or next month? And that kind of stuff. And you don't want that kind of responsibility because, you know, people's finances are a sensitive thing. But if you can just say, okay, I've, I've orange pilled you, here's what you do next. You determine an amount that you're comfortable on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever basis. And, you know, do it that way. That's the sensible way to do it. Don't, don't pay too much attention to it. Just set it and forget it. So
1: I love it. So I was like, I like the, I haven't heard the term orange pill you, but I've seen the images, so I should have figured it out, but that's great. But yeah, I, I think it, that that was one of my pain points. It's like, um, you're, you're the Mr. Bitcoin or the Mrs. or Miss Bitcoin, and amongst your friends, and like, oh, I'll be again, he's going to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> so you stopped talking about it, and then a ball run happens. And, you know, just looking at it statistically, again, a stat, um, I won't give you exact numbers, but if you look about look back statistically, and I'm sure it's the same for other exchanges, a very, very significant percentage of their customers will come in a very short period of time around the the bull runs of mm. their total customers, of lifetime customers they ever had will come through that period. And I expect the same thing to happen in the next bull run that like a very significant percentage of, at that point, our new total number of customers will come in a very short period. And all we're doing right now is just building our crypto Noah's Ark to be ready for the flood um, and capture as much as possible. But when they come in, um, but and at that time when the bull run's happening, everybody wants to know about Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, the people who are sort of like, you know, literally um, avoiding you like the plague, all of a sudden come along and say, oh, actually, can I just tell me a bit more about Bitcoin then?" And then? You would explain it, tell them about the site to go to, um, and often, you know, we would be dealing with institutional clients because we were uncomfortable dealing with retail um, for a while, um, because we didn't think it was the product was ready for retail. Um, but you'd explain a site, and they'd go to the site, and then you'll you talk to them a week later. And so, did, how did you get on with that investing in Bitcoin? He goes, "Thanks very much. I I I went on to the site, signed up, and." And I bought, some, uh, and I and um I went to site. It was great, um, but I didn't I didn't get that Bitcoin stuff. It was way too expensive. I got this other one which was only fifty p or so on, and uh, got that instead. Yeah. And I was like, no, it didn't make it to uh to the to, to planet planet Bitcoin. They got they got captured by um you know the empire of the empire of strikes back. You so, know,
2: so true <laughs> and such a common Star Wars
1: story, as I like yeah. to
2: call it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, that that, hap- that's, that
0: happens all the time. Or it, it, at least it did. I'm sure it still does to to a certain degree. But yeah, you 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 get someone and they they end up they're almost to the finish line, and then they get hooked by by something else, which again is why you know these services that that you're providing are I think are so beneficial and are going to make the next bull run or you know the the trajectory from here uh, possibly even more stable because people will you know will just get on board basically and they'll start siphoning away some Bitcoin for themselves over time, you know, rather than going in big or getting distracted by something else or whatever. Um, Obi, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go in a moment and I'll give you the floor for some final comments before I do, but I want to circle back uh, just for a second, ask you a question about, are your parents still living? Do you mind if I ask?
1: Um, n- 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 no, my, 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 my mother recently, um, well, not recently actually, um, it's a a year and a half ago um, died. So yes, That's what, unfortunately, no. So
0: not, neither are still living.
1: Not no, they're neither are around. Right.
2: Well, you know, it was sorry, sorry to hear that. But what I was going to ask was, um,
0: I would be interested in hearing their perspective on the work that you've been doing mm. still while they were living and and in Bitcoin. And <clears throat> did they see the value in? as you say, the, the Bitcoin philosophy? And did they understand why you were devoting your your life to this?
1: I, uh, To be honest, it's not as, as a inspiring an answer. I just think that from a technology point of view, they were never very technologically advanced. They were very um, um, technically minded in terms of mathematics and so on. But yeah, computers... And so, so, so
2: they just thought Obi was off doing his tech thing again. Yeah. And-
1: I mean, I mean, when I started, um, I mean, very classic Nigerian family, they wanted to be, to be a, a you know, a doctor or accountant or architect, something, some traditional status, status <laughs> role. And um, I um, um, in, and I was thinking I was going to do one of these things, you know, because um, it's, this, this to do, it's the done thing to do. And as I said, I was in school one day. I was the headmaster was suggesting that we check out um, after-school activities and try and sign up to some of these things. And I decided to go to the chess club because that's the sort of thing that a good Nigerian son would do. And so I was playing chess. And then um, three thirty, the clock hit struck three thirty, and. Literally everybody in the in the chess class because it started free. Schools started free at the time um, in in the UK. Um, everybody disappeared. Even the person I was in the middle of playing the game with, they all rushed off. And and I was asking, "Where's everybody going?" And they went, "Computer club, computer club." This is remember this is in the eighties. So you know, I, I was I celebrated my forty fifth birthday just a few weeks ago. So, Damn man, you look so, young. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, just to give you a context. So it was like this computer club was like a big thing at the time, um, in the eighties. And so, so they rushed, so everybody rushed over. So I just followed them in and I saw these computers and that's it. My love affair of computers began. And I remember, um, uh, a few years later, it was just that maybe you could buy your own computer. I was working for in a, in a, in a computer store as well, just to try and earn some money. And then I remember begging my, my parents, my father to, uh, to have a computer and this was like one of these early IBM PCs and i and i was saying it had like um if i remember correctly it had uh 2 megabytes of ram and um and we had a choice between the the 80 megabyte hard drive and the 120 megabyte hard drive and i was like to my dad look Please get the, uh, if we get 120 megabytes, that will be all the uh, the, the data storage I'll ever need, ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so great. And that was an expensive. Device. I was like, uh, and for us, it was an expensive purchase. It was like a, a thousand pounds, which again, remember a thousand pounds at that time. A lot of money. Was, lot of money. Uh, inflation and stuff was a lot, more, more, a lot of money. And so, even though he didn't really understand it and, and, and he thought, and this was still early. It was just, you know, internet wasn't really a thing or anything. So, um, so he took a leap of faith. So I do do actually recognize that was a big leap of faith. He didn't understand it. He thought it was just actually a fad, never going to be anything big. But he made this massive investment. Um, he didn't make a big deal of it. But actually, in retrospect, I realized it was a really big investment. But after that, he saw that it was doing well, and, he's, and he could see that I was going up. I was becoming a VP of all these companies, but they never really... They I you know, never used a computer in their life. They just were just proud that I was doing well, and it's right Right, all right.
0: I'll be last thing before I hand it over to you. So this last part, I do a word association. So I just say a word, and you tell me the first thing that pops into your head. All right. Okay. Democracy.
1: Technocracy.
2: The Lightning Network. The future. Government. AI. Human rights. Needed. Violence. Needed. Trump. Hilarious. Ego. Humbleness. FOMO. NGU, number go up. Wealth. Emotional privacy. One word will come hate speech. Enlightening gold. Bitcoin guns. Coming revolution. Coming. Socialism. Um, Old hat. Family. Hopefully. (laughs) Inequality. Being solved. Sorry. Hell. Double-barreled words. What's the word? Hell. Lack of change. Liberty. The internet. Energy. Solar. Bitcoin. Freedom.
0: Obi, uh, this has been awesome, man. I'm, You've been gener- extremely generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Do you have any uh, profound quotes or final comments
1: before we shut this thing down? I think I, I, I put in a lot of quotes there, but um, <laughs> yeah, before we shut this down, um, we are all we're all very lucky to be in this space, even to be listening to this podcast at this point in time, and uh, I hope that we. And continue on this journey and bring people who are open to understanding it along the journey with us. Um, long may we ride. Oh, and then to find out about me um, and CoinFloor, you can check out CoinFloor at coinfloor.co.uk, C-O-I-N-F-L-O-O-R. And for me and my musings, um, the best place is Twitter, which is my name, I'm Obi on Twitter, O-B-I.
0: That's a sick handle. I can't believe you got that.
1: I I was uh, 45. I was very very early into into a lot of things. Yeah.
0: Well, man, look, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to speak. I know we'll talk again, uh, hopefully not too long in the future. So until then, best of luck with all the work over there and uh, take care.
1: Thank you. Take care to you.
0: All right. See you, brother.